from Local 12 Sports. It's the Skinny Podcast. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Roaring. Each and every week we talk about sports topics of local interest, maybe a national topic or two if we get to one of those. Um, a gambling segment. We've got uh, the Bengals still playing, so we'll have some of that. And my favorite segment of the podcast where you can ask a question on any topic, just go to the Xverse, formerly Twitter, hit up the hashtag AskSkinnyAnything. It does not have to be a sports question. We'll answer your sports questions, but uh, if it's non-sports, we'll answer that as well. As always, this podcast presented by Blake, the attorney, Maislin. For full disclosure, I am in Frankfort, Kentucky, uh, where the team I coach, Ludlow High School, is playing in a tournament. Rick is is uh, out on the West Coast in California as NKU. He's the color analyst for NKU basketball on radio. Get set to take on uh, St. Mary's, and we'll see how they handle that big test. So we're in different parts, and uh, I'm, I'm coming off this trip and turn around right away and drive into Pittsburgh on Saturday. So, Rick, while maybe some people are chilling for the holidays, you and I are not. Yeah, a little bit of travel here right before Christmas, but uh, it's all good stuff. I'm, I'm excited about this game, and obviously that Bengals game is going to be a big one. And that's where we'll actually start this conversation. The Bengals beat the Vikings 27-24 last Saturday, which feels like it was a month ago now. With The, the Saturday games changed the whole week, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, it does. I mean, Skitty, this was really one of the most fun games, definitely of the year. But, I mean, maybe that I've ever watched in my history of Bengals fandom. I'm, I'm sure there's some recency bias there, but it, I just can't remember a game in which I was screaming at the TV and jumping out of my seat as often as this one, especially at the end. I mean, it was up there with some of the late wins in the Super Bowl year, uh, the the rumble in the jungle last year with, um, with Sam Hubbard. I mean, th- this was truly one of those special games that stick out. The first thing I just want to ask you about from it was the play by T. Higgins. The, and you know what one I'm talking about. The, well, the sure. lob where he comes back out of the end zone, catches it like the two or three yard line, and then spins backward and reaches across the goal line. Skinny, take me through that play as you're watching it live because that was one of the best plays or most aware plays, heads up plays that I've ever seen. So you see Jake Browning get flushed, right? And that's where your eyes go to. And my eyes then went downfield and I saw T start to work his way around the defender. And for those who may don't know, maybe you've read it and, and maybe you already did know, but T was an all-state basketball player in Tennessee. And I actually asked him, I asked, I've asked him this before, but I asked him after the game, I said, I said, was that box out skills or was that high point? He goes, it's both, man. He goes, I'm, I'm fundamental. And so he did, he kind of like did the old fashioned basketball box out and then used that six, four frame and those long arms and his ability to jump to go high point it. That part was spectacular enough. Right. And so I could see that unfolding. I could literally see, Jake saw him, knew he had to get rid of it, just kind of threw it up for grabs. And sometimes that's what you do with great wide receivers is say, go make me a play. You remember the Joe Burrow quote, F it, Jamar's down there somewhere. And for him, this time it was T's down there somewhere. And so I, I could honestly see in my mind before as the pass is in the air that T is going to catch this ball. And he did. Then the next part of it where he whipped his arm around the pylon was just mind-boggling to watch, to have that kind of awareness and the strength of hand, because let's not forget, if he whips the ball across the pylon and drops it as he's doing that, it's a touchback, night-night, game over, probably season over. Um, so it was a it was a brilliant play. It was a risky play. But to have the field awareness to know, if I just whip this around, there's a chance it goes across the pylon was phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times you see that pass go up and if a guy's in the end zone like that maybe he makes it out of the end zone to try to bat it down as a defensive back so it doesn't get tipped or intercepted or something like that but to sort of weave his way around a defender or two come back out and snatch that ball 
and then the presence of mind to still try to reach into the end zone. I mean, just absurd to have the the awareness, the confidence that you can pull it off and execute it is just, I mean, truly one of those plays that I don't, I mean, it's like the Sam Hubbard fumble recovery. I don't think we'll ever forget and we'll ever stop talking about that T Higgins play. We'll all just sort of reference it as one of those moments. Yeah. And for T, I mean, he dropped the first pass thrown his way in the game. Uh, there's another one he dropped, but I'm not going to really technically blame him for the drop. It was that deep ball where it was initially ruled a catch and then it was overturned. But um, you know, so for him to do that, and he's obviously had a, a really crazy up and down season. He's had some drop issues of late. He's been dealing with the contract stuff and the free agency stuff and injuries. Um, for him to do that was was super special to watch. Um, and it shows that um, when right, when healthy, when his mind is right, he's still, I don't know if he's in that upper echelon elite, but he's certainly in that 1A category of receivers, which we talked about a lot. And those guys are very valuable. Yeah. Jake Browning, skinny. He's 29 of 42, 324 yards. Two touchdowns, one interception in this game. This has gone past the point of being cute or a fun story to keep the hope alive and make the rest of the season interesting. We've now got a four-game sample size of this guy playing at the highest level, essentially. I mean, as well as any other quarterback in the country, Jake Browning looks like a real NFL quarterback that gives the Bengals a real chance to compete at the highest level, maybe even for a championship and in the postseason, skinny, like what, where are you at on Jake Browning? Is this enough of a sample size to just say this dude is, is a real quarterback now? Yes, for sure. And, and listen, he's going to have a game probably that's, and it could be this week. Cause you know, Pittsburgh's defense gave him some fits the first time around, although I think they'll put him in, I think they'll turn him more loose than he did in the Pittsburgh game. Cause now he's built up some trust and, and more reps and more games under his belt. I think the other part to this too, Rick is, you know, the, 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 three, the three wins, you know, he lost the Pittsburgh at the first start, but the three wins are against three teams that would be in the playoffs if the season, well, Indy would not be, but they're on the cusp of it. Three playoff teams, for lack of a better term, or playoff caliber teams. He didn't do this against two and 12 Carolina or, you know, four and whatever Chicago or whatever the amalgamation of the mess that is the Los Angeles Chargers at the moment. He's done these in high leverage situations. Against, I don't think they're great teams. That's why they're all hanging around 500, but they're playoff level teams. And that to me says something. And the fact that, you know, the first three quarters, and we talked about this on the podcast last week, and it was not an excuse. It's just a fact of the, the challenge that Minnesota presents where they lead the league in blitz percentage, they lead the league in drop eight, and you just don't know what they're going to do. And, um, you know, I think Jake had a hard time with that. And then in the fourth quarter, to see him lead three touchdown drives against a defense that had not given up a touchdown for 13 straight quarters shows you how unflappable he is. And once he got it rolling and found some things, um, he got on a roll and got in a rhythm. That's what great quarterbacks do. And great quarterbacks also go win games in the fourth quarter. He obviously didn't win the game in the fourth quarter. He had to bring them back to tie numerous times, but then makes that great play in overtime. Scramble to his right, sees Tyler Boyd crossing, puts it right on him. Um, Tyler Boyd spins away from a defender, sets up the game-winning field goal. He was spectacular. Again, it, it was it, as Brian Callahan said. We asked him the other day about uh, about you know Jake and you know a month into this, if you if you look back, how surprised are you? And he said, kind of paused, and I think he didn't want to say, I you know we're surprised. He said he's playing at a historical level, and he is. I mean, it feels like every game that crosses, he's done something else historic. <laughs> yeah, I mean. what when you're talking about just from a, a quarterback's first four starts in the NFL, the numbers are eye-popping. But even when you just go to the numbers that he's putting up now through four games and compare him across the league or compare him to all-time 
greats. I mean, skinny, the numbers are right there. He's, he's up there with the best quarterbacks that have ever played the game through their first four games. And I'm not saying that's who Jake Browning is. He has the benefit of being on a good team, a roster that was actually pretty well constructed as it turns out, even though it struggled through the first part of the year and uh, a good coaching staff. So he's in a great situation, but I mean, some of the plays he's making, it's, it's just pretty absurd right now. And Paul Daner, I'll, I'll, be honest, I'll, I'll be honest, Rick. I thought the one of the biggest throws, if not the biggest he made was they were down 17, 10. They were stuck in third and 18 or 20, whatever it was, third and 20 ish in Vikings territory. He could have taken a safe check down and, and said, all right, let's kick a field goal. There's still plenty of time. There's 11 minutes to go. He waits for a second for the window to come open for Jamar chase into a big void. Now how that happens is beyond me, but it happened. And for him to hold on to it long enough to let that happen and pick up a first down, they then go on to score to tie it at 17 all. That was as big of a throw as the Higgins throw or the boy throw. Yeah, it was. And that's the thing. That's the part where he reminds you of Burrow in some ways. He's, they're not doing everything the same way. In fact, there's a lot that's different about how they're playing. But that ability to hold on to the ball an extra beat or two, try to make something out of nothing, move the pocket a little bit. He seems to have that same ability that that Burrow has. And it, it's kind of nice because I think this receiver core and the, the players around him are used to that, having played with Joe. So it's it's they still have that confidence in Jake to make those same types of plays. And uh, Skinny, I, I know you talk to Paul Daner all the time, obviously, being around him daily down there on the beat. And he's he's always talking about the highest adjusted average net yards per attempt stat. Uh, he brings it up all the time on his shows and in his writing about basically if you go look at previous Super Bowl quarterbacks, almost all of them rank extremely high in adjusted average net yards per attempt. Uh, like the, the last several quarterbacks were all within like the top three of the NFL in that stat, I believe. And if you look at where our guy Jake Browning is right now after four games, if he had enough stats to qualify, enough games to qualify, he would rank third in that stat right behind Brock Purdy right. and Tua this year. Yeah. So, I mean, that just goes to tell you, like it, it's a stat that's undeniable. Your quarterback has to be rank high if you want to have a chance to compete for a Super Bowl. And Jake Browning is giving the Bengals that chance right now. Yeah, and again, it goes back to show you that that how unpredictable this position is, right? Um, you know, Tom Brady was was nothing until Tom Brady was something. You know, Brock Purdy was the last draft pick in, in his class last year. And really, they turned to him by default due to injury. And voila, Brock Purdy's uh, doing special things. Same for Jake. I think to the point for the, the last couple is, to your point from a minute ago, it does help to be surrounded by by really good talent. And, and that, that I think, has certainly helped him. That, that's the weird part about drafting a quarterback, right? For the Bengals, they weren't near playoff ready when they, when they drafted Joe Burrow, but they felt like, okay, that's our starting point, and we'll go sign guys around him, and we'll have some draft picks to make sure that he succeeds. And that's what they did, T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, um, you know, going out and signing the free agent offensive lineman that they did. Um, other teams don't seem to get that. It seems like they feel like, all right, let's get the quarterback and we're good. And you see some guys who probably had a chance to be really good. Um, you know, I'm not going to put Zach Wilson in that category. I, I might put Sam Darnold. That guy. I mean, some guys are just set up to fail because they get the living daylight speed out of them. And there's not good enough talent around them. And you want them to be the savior. And they could have been competent quarterbacks. Instead, they, they get knocked around and then they lose all confidence and all sense of ability. So Purdy is a perfect example. I think Jake Browning is is another one. These guys that can be looked at as not having the talent or not being highly thought of potential guys then step in and seem to immediately be able to process everything and make the reads and make these plays. My 
feeling on that is it's a brain power issue or a brain power deal. Like these guys are just really smart and they're able to handle it all mentally. And that's probably after, you know, having the requisite arm talent, that's probably the most important thing you can have as a quarterback is that ability to process information quickly and, and get through your reads and, and see what defense is coming at you and all of that type of stuff. I have to assume that's the hardest thing to scout though. Is it, when you're in yeah, a college and, system and you're having success, you all look smart, right? Yeah, and you, you could probably argue there's is there tests you can do. I don't know that there is. I mean, you know, most guys that they put on the whiteboard can probably diagram whatever play a coach is asking them to do. Some can't, and that's why some that you're like, ooh, what happened to that guy? Well, he couldn't yeah. go to the whiteboard and show a coach what the coach was asking, but most can. And so I guess it's one of those ones you don't know until you're out there with your feet in the fire. And I think – you know, for, for Jake, I think there was always a belief that he could process, but how would he do it when it's game speed? I mean, he can see things on tape and film and while he's not playing. What is it going to be like when there's a live rush coming at him and it's bang, 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 you got to do that? I, I honestly don't know if you can ever measure that until the guy goes and does it. I really don't. Right. And then, I mean, at the end of the day, you still have to be an NFL caliber athlete, too. That, sure. That's the other part of it. It's not like you can just be some uh, brainiac out there, a nerd that that can't move or something. I mean, you still have to have a big arm and be able to move the pocket and all these things that Jake Browning's doing. I'm not trying to take away from his athleticism because he's been impressive. But I do have to think the way you miss on these types of talents and, and Brock Purdy, again, is the perfect example of this. It has to do with the, the brain power and their ability to think through this stuff so well. And, and again, I, I imagine that is really hard to scout. Yeah, Skinny, there were, there, there were a lot of uh, injury news on both sides, Bengals and Steelers coming into this week's game. Uh, DJ reader tore his quad and is now out for the year for the Bengals. And then the other big news piece of news was Jamar chase has a separated shoulder and it sounds like he'll be out for at least this week against Pittsburgh. Aside from that, I don't know if there's much more information going forward. Um, yeah, no, I, I don't either. They, I mean, they, I, obviously, I, there was a report that he was going to miss this week early in the week, and we asked Zach on Tuesday, and he said we're taking it day to day. And I get it. I mean, you don't want to, you know, if, if it makes the Steelers look at an extra hour's worth of film or tape because of Jamar Chase, good. You 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 you, you bottle him up a little bit, but um, that was more not gamesmanship. That's not the right word, but I get why they did that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I guess the hope would be, can you get him through this week? It's a Saturday then to a Sunday, so you do have an extra day. Um, you know, next week before they play the Chiefs, you know, maybe that extra day um, will help him be able to play um, in in that game. So, you, and I think it's one. I think you don't really know. You, it's, it's probably a pain tolerance thing. And uh, Jamar Chase is a tough guy, but Jamar Chase is also a guy who, if you remember right, uh, you know, he he uh, he's one that, that's the one that said Joe Burrow should sit. I think he's a guy that says, listen, I'll play through some through some pain, but I'm not going to be stupid enough to to hurt myself long term. And so. I think for him, the decision he makes will be the right one for both him and the team. But I think he'll err on the side of caution, and I don't blame him. Skinny, the Steelers are on to their third quarterback with Mason Rudolph announces the starter for this week. But it was also announced that safety Mika Fitzpatrick will miss this game with a knee injury. With some big names out for both sides, do you think the Bengals are at a big disadvantage this week with Chase being out, or do you feel like both teams are kind of reeling here? No, I, I mean, the Bengals have played, you know, some games. They played games, uh, you know, two years ago without Jamar. Played uh, four games and went three and one in that span of games. So they, they've done it. Uh, they played games without T. Higgins this year. And, and again, Jamar Chase is clearly your number one. So 
uh, if the choice push came to shove, you'd rather have Jamar Chase than T. Higgins. You'd love to have them both. They haven't had that luxury this year. Um, I, I think the the fact the Steelers are on Mason Rudolph, who's he's made two starts since 2019. I mean, I remember they the Bengals played them Zach Taylor's first year on a Monday night, one twenty-seven to three. I'm not sure Mason Rudolph threw a pass over five yards in that game. It was run game, run game, dink and dunk, dink and dunk. He managed it. He won the game for them, but obviously. Um, you know, they've had other chances over the years to turn back to him and haven't done so. They drafted Kenny Pickett to move ahead of him. They went and got Mitch Trubisky to move ahead of him. And this feels like it's just a clear by default trying to get any spark humanly possible in Mason Rudolph. Obviously, Mika Fitzpatrick's one of the best in the game, him being out. Uh, DeMonte Casey, the other safety who got suspended by the NFL, is out. So, um, you know, I, I think a lot of it will come down to the impact loss of DJ Reader. How can the run defense uh, step up and replace, you know, what he does in the run game. And uh, for the most part, they've been pretty good between the guards where DJ Reader is against the run. It's been these runs that have spit to the outside. You saw the one on Saturday, DJ Turner's right there to make a tackle. The guy sidesteps and runs 30 yards. He's simply go make the tackle. That's I don't think that's a, a run schematic or anything other than, dude, got to make the tackle on the edge there. Uh, but between the tackles, they've been pretty good. But how much of an impact – Without DJ Reader, does that make? I thought Zach Carter got pushed around a little bit when he was in the game. Now, to his credit, he came up huge on those two uh, plays in the overtime. He was part of the third and one stop and then big part of the fourth and inches stop. Uh, maybe that gives him a confidence boost that, okay, I, I can do this. I, I can I can do this. You know, Jay Tufaley's probably going to be up. And, and he's, you know, the times he's gotten a chance to play, he's actually kind of been a nice run stopper in there. So, I think that's the big part is is the impact loss of DJ Reader. Can they make up for that? Because I can't imagine Pittsburgh's going to turn to Mason Rudolph and go rip it 40 times and we'll go win this game, dude, behind you. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of Reader long-term, Skinny, he's in the last year of his deal. I was looking at this from the perspective of, man, he's been really good for the Bengals. He seems like a good leader and anchor on the front of that defensive line. He's still playing at a really high level, even though this is probably going to be you know, that last big deal for him, you would think. And he is a big guy who's aging a little bit. Now that you throw in this injury, what does it mean in terms of the potential of him signing another deal with the Bengals or him just signing another long-term deal in general? Yeah, I think the next deal he signs is probably a one-year prove-it deal with somebody. And um, I feel for him because he, he's all the things you talked about and then some and more. Um, and he was deserving if he was not going to get paid here. And I didn't think he was because money is going to have to be allocated elsewhere that he would certainly get paid somewhere else. Um, and now that's not the case. I mean, from things you've I've read and, and understand, I mean, this is a maybe even a 10-month recovery process. That takes you into the start of next season, right? So here's yeah. where, you know, maybe the Bengals do this. You get him whenever he comes back healthy. Tell him, hey, we'll sign you for the rest of the year on this prove-it deal, and then you can become a free agent again. I mean, maybe they get – six games out of DJ Raider next year and, and, and get him under contract. I, I don't know. Cause I don't know if another team would, would do that. Maybe they do and just say, we're going to stash you, but I just don't know how that's going to, going to work out for him. It's just, it couldn't come at a worse time in a guy's career where you've played at a high level. You've been a big part of, of a Super Bowl team and an AFC championship game team, AFC runner up team. And now you're in your final year, of your contract, you're hurt and you, nobody knows what your status is moving forward when you can even play again. I mean, I hate that for him because he's been so good since the Bengals got him and he's been you know, fun to watch. He seems like a great guy to have in the locker room and all of that stuff. Um, from a selfish standpoint, you do wonder the point you just brought up to the Bengals maybe get a little bit of a deal out of this, though, because like you said, it may have been tough to keep him at all. 
do you maybe get half a season with him next year on a on a cheap contract? And uh, maybe he's a missing link down the stretch when you're trying to make a postseason run. I mean, yeah. I'm just trying to look at it from the most optimistic standpoint possible because nothing about this is cool. I mean, it just yeah. absolutely sucks for him, for the Bengals, for everybody involved. I'm sure his agent is probably the sickest human alive right now. And that and that's why. It, it, there's no right answer to this. That's why when you see players talk about holding out in the final year of a contract or going into a year where maybe they have, they're going into the final year of their contract, they, they really can't hold out at that point because they're going to get fined. But but when guys like a Jesse Bates from from a couple years ago, he had the franchise tag put on him and didn't come until he absolutely had to come. And fans get mad about that. But then there's this side of it of final year of your contract and you're done at the moment and you don't know what your future is. And for Jesse Bates, he got lucky, right? He got through the, the franchise tag year and went and got paid in Atlanta. He's balling out down there. That's probably the exception to the rule. Now, also, DJ Reader having a catastrophic injury is probably the exception to the rule. But there are guys who've gotten hurt and probably cost themselves a pretty penny. I'm not so sure T. Higgins, unless he, you know, this was the start of him balling out down the stretch, uh, especially if there's no Jamar Chase and he just becomes an alpha one receiver. He's probably cost himself some money this year with his injuries and with some drop issues. And so, I mean, that's where the, the business side of this gets so ugly um, that it's unfortunate because there is no right answer because the teams also, listen, this is collectively bargained. This isn't the owners going, we own you. We can do what we want. No, players, players collectively bargain this whole thing. And so there's, there's no right answer to it. It just, it sucks when it comes down to something like this. Yeah, it definitely does. All right, Skinny. The final three games we've talked about, it, it's a tough stretch. You've got at Steelers, at Chiefs, and then home against the Browns to finish off the, the regular season. When you look at these three games, which how would you rank them going in order of best chance to win to worst chance to win? I think Cle- Cleveland's clearly best chance to win for multiple reasons. One, it's at home. Um, two, they're on Joe Flacco. Um, you know, they're on their fourth quarterback of the season and he's done well, but again, I don't know what that shelf life is going to look like at age 39 for Joe Flacco. Um, and the other part to it is there's a potential where Cleveland has the, the, the fifth seed, which is the number one wild card wrapped up by the time the Bengals play. And maybe they say, we're not going to get anybody hurt in this game. We'll rest our starters. So to me, there's multiple reasons why that's the most winnable. Pittsburgh is clearly second and Kansas city is, is, is a distant third. Although I don't think it's out of the realm just because Kansas city, uh, you know, this is now getting to be a larger sample size of, of not a lot of success on offense. And I say that and they scored 27 points. Although seven of those were on, on defense. Um, they still have drop issues, uh, Travis Kelsey dropped the pass in the end zone the other day, for goodness sake. So, um, you know, I that's become at least not more winnable. I guess you, you have a better chance to win now than what I thought you would have when the season started, when you put it down on paper. Yeah. At the end of the day, you still realize they have Pat Mahomes, they have yep. Travis Kelsey, all of those things apply, but they feel more beatable than they've been in recent years. They just don't seem like they have that same spark. That's not to say they can't turn it up and Pat Mahomes won't go on a crazy run here the rest of the way. But right now, I would agree with you. They have not been playing their best basketball. All right. We will make our picks on the Bengals-Steelers game during our betting segment. Do you have anything else to add to this conversation right now? No. Uh, yeah, we'll just we'll, we'll, we'll analyze that game a little more in depth here in just a bit when we pick it. All right. Let's switch gears to college basketball. And we'll start with Cincinnati this week, Skinny, because I think that I probably have the most interesting uh, storyline to talk about. Although Kentucky obviously has the biggest win, but we'll stay a little bit more local than that. The Bearcats lost to Dayton 82-68. They came back. They beat Merrimack 65-49. 
uh, which is what they've been doing basically all the non-conference slate to this point is beating teams like Merrimack. But then uh, the two big games they've had, Xavier and Dayton, they lose both of them and both of them pretty convincingly. They have since uh, they have Stetson and Evansville the next two Fridays before they begin 12 Big 12 play. So there aren't any more tests along the way for them, really. Ken Palm projects Cincinnati to go eight and ten in conference play. Skinny, are you going over or under eight wins for UC in the Big 12 conference this year? I, I'm going under because I just I, I don't see many, if any, wins on the road for them. I mean, they've played two road games to this point and we're all out to beat Howard of all teams in overtime. And then obviously lost at Xavier. That wasn't a huge road game. You're just going across town. It is on, on their court. So it counts as a road game. Um, so I don't see many road wins for them. And then you look at some of the home slate and probably half the teams on paper are better. That doesn't mean they're going to win, but at least on paper are better. So I, I, I went five and 13 before the season started in the big 12. And I'm going to stick with that. I hope I'm wrong for UC fans sake, because um, you know, they're probably, I, I had Chet Brenner on Sports Talk from Bearcat Journal on Friday, and and we were talking a little bit about the Dayton game. And um, I said, and he and I are obviously on different pages of where this team is, and I get it. I said, my question for you, though, is a loss to Dayton, how many wins do they need to be in the conversation for NCAA tournament? He said 10. And I said, if, if they beat Dayton, how many? He said, probably eight. And I think that was probably a fair answer for sure because the Dayton win would have given them at least a little non-conference bump. But it, it, when, when the committee sits down and looks, you're going to look at certainly what they do in the Big 12, but you're also going to look at the non-conference and go, what did they do, if anything? And the answer is nothing. Well, I think a lot of fans are, are relying on the idea that we're finally in a big-time conference. It's no longer the AAC. So the strength of schedule is no longer a concern. We're going to have plenty of opportunities in conference play. Yeah, that's fine if you're going to win way more games than you lose in conference play. But if you think you're going to be able to go to five, go 500 like some teams have done in the past in the Big 12 or the Big East or the ACC and still get into the tournament with that, you're going to have to do something in your non-conference resume right. portion of the schedule. And I mean, Cincinnati just didn't do that at all. When I look at it, I see seven wins. When I look at there, I will give them seven wins. I see six that I feel good about, and I'll assume they pick up another win somewhere along the way that I'm not expecting. So I would go with seven. I would have them under that eight win total as well. But Skinny, I mean, I'm looking at this start to, to Big 12 play for them. It's not it's a, it's a It's not a reach to think they could start 0-6. I mean, absolutely to, to avoid going 0-6, the type of games they're going to have to win, these are the easy ones at home for them, or easy ones at home for them. Yeah. Texas, TCU, or Oklahoma. Those are the most winnable games they have over their first six. Those three at home. So, I mean, like, it is it is not going to be easy to start off Big 12 play here for the Bearcats. They're not going to see some of those lower-tier teams in the conference till they're, you know, midway through their conference slate here. I think you and I have disagreed about this before, but I always think a team needs some semblance of identity on either end of the floor, if not both ends of the floor. Maybe it's not you and I. Maybe it's other people. Oh, it's with. us. Yeah, okay. I, I, but I don't understand what, the, what what is this team? Is it is it an offensive team? Is it a defensive team? I mean, he was all happy he held – Wes was all happy they held Merrimack to less than 50. That's great, but you also turned it over 18 times and scored 65. I mean, what, what's what? Yeah, I'm sorry. That, like, the, the results against teams like Merrimack just don't matter anymore. You've already no, proven with that with, with the way you played against Xavier and Dayton. I'd love to say, you know, those Ken Palm numbers mean something, but at the end of the day, when you don't play anybody, they really don't mean anything. You're just beating up – bad teams by more than you're expected to win those games by. And I do think for a mid-major team, Cincinnati is overwhelming to play. I mean, think about the NKU game that 
we, we sure. both watched it. They're just longer, more athletic this year, and they give teams like that a lot of trouble. I thought their identity was going to be defense, Skinny. After watching them through the first several games, I know their offensive numbers were up there, yeah. but I felt like, as you've pointed out multiple times, they don't really have a great go-to option. And on defense, I thought, you know, with a cease being hopefully a shot blocker and rim protector back there, you have John Newman as a stopper. And then at the point guard spot, I, I think both Day-Day and Jizzle are big athletic guys who can put pressure on the ball. So I was thinking defense would be their identity. But now we've seen in their two big games, I mean, Dayton put 82 points on them, Skinny. Yeah. Defense yeah. has not been the identity so far in real games. So I'm with you. I, I'm not a big identity guy. I don't think that's the most important thing in the world. But uh, how about just doing something well? Right yeah. now, you don't do anything well. Whether, whether you want to call that identity or not, I'm with you. They need to figure it out on one side of the ball or the other. And I think it's going to be a lot easier for them to figure it out defensively than it will <laughs> offensively. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, most Big 12 teams have enough dudes to, to put you in the 70s on almost every single night. And it could be into the 80s. And I don't know if this team has enough firepower to keep up with that, right? It just it just doesn't. Yep. All right, let's switch gears. Xavier beat Winthrop 75-59 and then lost to St. John's last night, Wednesday night. I was recording this on Thursday morning, 81-66. to Um this was one of the uglier performances, I would say, by Xavier Skinny as they turned the ball over 18 times. We've seen this team go back and forth. They look terrible one night, and then they play a game against like Houston or even the Purdue game wasn't terrible, and you go, okay, maybe this team is is getting it together. Maybe it's all right. The Crosstown shootout was obviously a big bright spot for them. But you know, then they go on the road to St. John's first game in Big East play, and they look like they're kind of back at square one again. I guess my concern for the Xavier team and Xavier fans is that it's kind of going to be this way all season yep. because it just seems like some of these young guys uh, aren't ready yet. And then the older guys aren't good enough. Yeah. And, and I mean, I just don't know if, if we talked about this last week, you're the nights you're going to win on a night where Davion McKnight gives you more than what you expect. Quincy Oliveri gives you way more than you expect. And Desmond Claude gives you what you expect. And that's hard to do on the road, man, especially with guards, uh, especially in a league like this on the road with, 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 with doing it with guards. And yeah, I, I think the road is going to be really ugly for Xavier for most of the year. Um, you know, outside of the pole, outside of Georgetown, you know, you watch hell, you watch Nova last night, go to, go to Creighton and pull out an overtime win. And neither one of those places are easy to go. Seton Hall knocks off UConn at home. So that's not going to be an easy play. I mean, there's no place you go, well, there's a fall plan. And, and that's part of being in a league like this, right? But you've had the talent the last, numerous years to compete against that and you just don't have it across the board this year you just don't yeah and um i i mean i'm not too surprised by the way this is going based on what we saw in non-conference play i think there was some hope that towards the end of non-conference and really with the uc game they kind of figured out that quincy and desmond are the go-to guys you ride them as much as possible and hope you get something out of the rest of of the offensive options and last night against st john's they were able to take quincy out of the equation he only got six shots up he was 0 for 2 from beyond the arc and i think now we've come to a point where if an opponent is able to take out desmond or quincy xavier doesn't really have another answer and so that's yeah. what you're going to see every team do they're going to hound quincy not let him get any threes up and they're going to say go ahead the rest of you guys can beat us one-on-one -on -one, or even being at an advantage you can try to take your chances uh, we're guessing it's not going to work and and St. John's won that bet. So uh Ken Palm projects Xavier to go 10 and 10 in conference play. 
Are you going over or under 10 wins for the Musketeers? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go under um, just because I don't see more than two road wins. I just don't. And, and then you're still going to have to play these teams, the Yukons and the Villanovas and the Creightons. Um, I don't, I can't put Seton Hall in that category. I might, maybe by the time they play St. John's in the return trip, St. John's is, is firing all cylinders because they, they've got some dudes. I mean, I, so you're going to slip up a couple of three times at home too, probably not even slip up. Your team is going to be better than you. And so, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm going to go under that. I, I heard you with Mo Egger as I was driving down here yesterday. Um, I think you said you thought 500. Um, so I'll flip that to you um, over or under the 10 win total, the 500 mark. Yeah, I, I would have them under the 500 mark. I would think eight eight wins is probably most realistic. Yeah. Um, maybe you can get to nine, but that that's kind of where I come out with this team. Now there are some, you know, when you get down to the bottom half of the conference, I feel like all those games are pretty comparable games to Xavier. Even the St. John's team last night, I didn't think they were like when when Xavier plays them at home, I don't think it's an overwhelmingly talented St. John's team, and they can get sloppy just the same as Xavier did last night. So I don't think that's like a game they have no chance in the return game against. But you look at, you know, Providence obviously had a big win last night, but I don't yeah, think they're yeah. great. I think Seton Hall, um, obviously DePaul and Georgetown at the bottom of the conference, there are going to be winnable games at home for Xavier. So I don't think it's like they, they won't win at all, but any game on the road this year feels like it's going to be a struggle for this team. So, uh, yeah, I mean, just right there, it feels like it, it's pretty easy to get to nine or 10 losses just looking at their road games. And, right. and that goes for even when they're playing at Georgetown or at DePaul. I'm not so sure that they're, those are guaranteed win games on, on the road. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And I think that's the, that, that, that's where for, for both teams, I went under both the totals you said. I appreciate the question. It's a good question. It's a frustrating year, right? Because this, this doesn't happen around these parts very often where uh, both are, are kind of sitting on the sidelines and really scuffling and could really scuffle uh, as the season progresses. Yeah. Kentucky skinny. They beat North Carolina 87-83. They get that quad one win in December. Feels like, you know, last year we were talking about that for most of the season. It's like, when is Kentucky actually going to get that quad one win and and start building their resume? And they've already got a big one here this year. Uh, one of the one of the big notes from this one was Yugana Onyenso came back. He returned, played ten minutes in this game, blocked three shots when he was in there. Um, what what really stood out to you? It feels like Aaron Bradshaw is kind of making his way into the mix, and as a result, we're getting a little bit less of a dude the arrow. But other than that, it seems like the rotation is working out pretty well so far with Bradshaw. Yeah, I, I think balance is the thing for them. I mean, they got so many different guys that can score it in so many different ways. They share it really well, and now you've added the rim protectors. And you say that, and they're still going to give up points to good teams. They just are. They don't guard great. Um, but I think the difference for this team is they can go score in multiple ways. You don't have to throw it in to Oscar and have Oscar go make a play for you. I mean, you got uh, Bradshaw had a really – I mean, had a great game in my opinion that game. Rob Dillingham comes off the bench. We've seen Reed Shepard come off the bench. Um, you know, DJ Wagner's had his moments. I mean, honestly, Edwards is probably the one that's been maybe the most disappointing. That's probably not fair because he is a freshman. They just have so many different ways to hit you and score – um, that there's going to be nights, like I said, there's going to be another UNC Wilmington somewhere in the SEC that you go, how did that just happen? Well, some nights you don't score and and, and because you can't stop anybody, um, they do. I think they, and Rick, I don't know if you've got Ken Palm up. I think I looked the other day, they were 14th in adjusted offense, but like 95th in defense. And I just don't know how that's going to get any better. Yeah, they they it is dropping. They are 15th and 46 now, 15th in offense, okay. 46th okay. in defense now. Um, 
So it has dropped. They are getting better on, on that end of the floor. And the one thing, Skinny, as you bring Bradshaw into the mix, you now have, and Onyenso comes back, you now all of a sudden, because Thierro's playing fewer minutes and sitting on the bench more, you have a really well-rested Thierro and a really well-rested Onyenso coming off the bench as defensive guys. I mean, that's both of their specialties. Thierro had like three blocks in this game too, I think, as a forward wing, whatever type of player he is. Um, so I think that will help the defense a little bit, or at least when you're scuffling and you're having those moments where it seems like you can't get right. a stop, to be able to bring in a, a real rim protector and a big-time athlete like Thierro who has fresh legs to to come in and guard somebody at pretty much any spot on the floor like he can, I think that might be a nice boost to the Wildcats' defense. Yeah, I'm with you. And and listen, I mean, I, nobody was expecting Trey Mitchell to be a rim protector. You were just hoping to 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 really outscore the other team. Now you at least do have some of that. And and another couple of defensive rebounders with their length. And, you know, Thierro missed a game or two, and he was rebounding the ball really well. So I, I do think that that, to your point, it will help. I just don't think they'll ever get to be an elite defensive team, and I, that's just not the DNA. But we always talk about this. Be elite on one end of the floor at least. And, and 15 is not completely elite, but you're in that upper echelon where – those are the kind of teams that, that start making runs in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, what what do we say? You want to be top 20 in both, right? And and they're yes. top 20 on the offensive side right now, so that's a good sign. Uh, Zvonimir Ivisic, the big Croatian seven foot two freshman that they tried to bring over, still have not gotten a ruling from the NCAA on his eligibility yet. Uh, it was said that he talked to Cal. Actually, he said this himself. He put out a statement saying he had talked to Cal about potentially returning home for the holidays and just staying there because the NCAA has not yet ruled on his eligibility. It sounds like, at least for the time being, that has been settled down and he does plan to stay with the team. But, Skinny, this feels like it's very up in the air right now, and they're trying to make one last-ditch effort to get some type of uh, answer from the NCAA. Yeah, and I feel for him, but from a team perspective, let's say they rule on this in late January, and you're going to try to throw that another big body into the mix. It feels like it could be a real mess up. And he's a skilled kid, supposedly. I, you know, from what I've read and heard, I've never seen a, a tape of him, but uh, he's a skilled kid. But you know, then suddenly, um, you know, the, the the minutes dwindle for other guys. And as we know, like Cal, he wants to tighten that rotation when you get to conference play, and there are going to be some guys who probably are going to be odd man out. Maybe a Thierro to your point that all he is is a defensive specialist and stopper at the end of games. And that's probably not a role he's going to, he's going to love, but at the same time, you know, you're going to dole out minutes where you feel right. And so I just, I, I, I feel for this kid because it has feels like a lost year for him at the same time. When from a basketball perspective, um, do you really want, do you really want to try to mess with getting him into the mix in late, in late January, unless somebody gets hurt, of course. Well, I mean, a few weeks ago we were talking about, Kentucky was playing with no centers, really. Right, right. Um, you're playing undersized with Trey Mitchell at the five, and we were talking about, is it going to screw them up to bring back a guy like Aaron Bradshaw, bring one seven-footer back into the mix? Now we're talking about a few weeks later, you're going to bring three seven-footers into right. the mix and figure out how to use them all at the same time? I'm kind of with you. I'm almost to the point now where I'm not sure how you implement Avisic at I this point. I and I also, the rumors I've heard is that while he is a talented kid and there's some upside there, He's not like some sure thing, one and done, going to dominate college basketball as soon as he's ruled eligible type of prospect. Maybe that's completely ignorant because, quite honestly, when it comes to these European uh, guys that come over here, it doesn't seem like there's very good reads and scouting reports out there on them. We've seen that with some of Xavier's guys already. Right. Um, but, I, I mean, I'm just 
everything. I mean, this is a guy that was pretty well known. It was a guy that was being talked about as potentially being an NBA guy in the next year or two. So we do have a little bit more info on him. And most people that I've I've heard from in terms of actual scouts don't believe he's like some surefire prospect the way some of these other guys might be. So I'm just yeah, I'm not sure that he's going to be an, an instant impact guy, and that might not be better for UK for him to kind of just move on and and do his own thing. But Skinny, we do have uh, two games coming up for the Wildcats before they start SEC play, and both of them are duds. Yes, I'm saying that about the Louisville rivalry. They are playing Louisville and Illinois State. Uh, Louisville tonight on Thursday night is recording this, and Illinois State next Friday after the holidays. So who loses by fewer points to the Wildcats, Louisville or Illinois State? I think it'll be Louisville because um, for whatever reason, they've played – almost to the level of their competition. I mean, played Texas within a bucket, uh, played somebody else good. I'm drawing a complete blank um, to within a, a, a close margin, and they've had some ugly losses. I'll put you on the – if, if if Kentucky, and I don't think Cal will run it up on Kenny Payne, right? I just don't think that's that's what he wants to do. But you may not be able to not do that. I don't know. I, I honestly – I saw the line, and the line's 13 and a half, and I didn't like it. I just didn't like it. So I kind of passed on it. And so – in theory, that doesn't sound like much because it feels like Kentucky could go win a 20-point game. But at the same time, Louisville's played up to the competition at home. Somehow they shook off that crazy week of last week and beat Pepperdine on Sunday. And, you know, maybe they feel like they're starting to get something rolling there. It just, it's got a weird vibe to it for, for a Kentucky-Louisville game. Yeah, I mean, they, they lost to Texas by one. Louisville did, like you were talking about. They lost to Indiana on a neutral floor by eight. They lost to Virginia Tech at Virginia Tech by seven. So, I mean, they've played some decent teams, fairly tough. A 13 is a ton for this rivalry, but at the same time, I mean, if you make it any lower than that, I feel like everyone would just hammer Kentucky in yeah. this situation. So I kind of get where they're coming from with that line. I I think I'd play Kentucky if I'm going anywhere here. I just think, I think Louisville is terrible, and I think it would be wonderful if they beat them and then Calipari made a spot on his staff for Kenny Payne right away to take him back that, after Louisville fired him. That would be something. Yeah. All right, Skinny, NKU. Let's wrap it up with the Norse. They have a huge game coming up tonight on Thursday as we're recording this. They beat the Cumberlands 94-59, NAIA game. Who cares? Then they beat Eastern Kentucky at EKU 85-75 in a game where, quite honestly, I thought Eastern Kentucky played really well. They made multiple runs in the second half at the Norse, and NKU just kept beating them down and and really outplayed them in that game. Uh, St. Mary's jumped 83 spots in the net the last two wow. weeks, Skinny. So this is not the same St. Mary's team that Xavier beat up on out in Las Vegas earlier this season. Uh, what What is your expectations for this matchup here and NKU heading into conference play? Yeah. Well, that, that to me is what it would be, all be about to make sure you you – you know, you play the best you can. You know, St. Mary's was ranked earlier this season, so people thought highly of them, and they kind of hit a rut for whatever reason. And to your point, they've been playing really well of late. NKU probably catches them at a bad time in that regard. But I, I think this is a fun scenario for NKU to be in. You know, I mean, obviously nothing to lose. It hopefully sharpens you up a little bit as you get set for, for the, the gauntlet of conference play. Yeah, definitely. I want to ask you about Jeremiah Israel, the freshman for NKU. He just was named freshman of the week in the Horizon League after he had 10 points against the Cumberlands and then 15 at EKU on five of six shooting. He was three of three from beyond the arc with five rebounds, one assist, and no turnovers in 15 minutes. Yes, that's 15 points in 15 minutes of play off the bench for freshman Jeremiah Israel. You got to see him a lot at the high school level because he played at Lloyd Memorial in Erlanger, Kentucky. 
were you thinking this is a guy who could make an instant impact as a freshman like he's doing now? No, I thought he could do some things defensively, um, even though he is a freshman. You don't count on those guys a lot of times, but but I thought he could help that way. Uh, you know, he has a – for those that don't know, he's also played the last couple of years um, at Lloyd with a high-level recruit, E.J. Walker, a high-level big man, and I thought they complemented each other, although Israel was kind of the main dog. Part of it was he was an upperclassman. But he was never really a high-volume scorer, um, and, and when you're averaging a point a minute in college, that's a high-volume score. Again, I know it's a smaller sample size, but um, good for him because it felt like he's had a hard time getting into the mix and now he's really getting into the mix. And, and boy, does that give NKU some more depth at a position in that conference where that's how you're winning games. You're winning it with guards and, and you add another wing guard to the mix. I mean, it comes at the right time. Oh, no doubt. And they, they had an injury right before the season started to a Lithuanian player who's been at their program for three years now, Hubie Pavorius, the sharpshooter, who right. was really going to be that depth piece for them off the bench on the perimeter. <laughs> you lose him, and they were trying to find a guy. They tried to go with freshman Randall Pettis initially, and it just wasn't working out. And then they gave Israel a shot here, and he's really taken that role and ran with it. And Skinny, to your point about him struggling initially, had you asked me the f- first week or two of the season, like, what role is Jeremiah Israel going to play on this team? I would have told you he's the last guy on the bench. I mean, he's not getting in at all this year. And lo and behold, a few weeks later here, we're talking about him as kind of one of their their top subs now and and playing a, a real impact, so, making a real impact. So, I, yeah, I'm, I'm just shocked because, you know, the people who had watched him in Northern Kentucky, not that anyone had bad things to say about them. They all loved the kid and thought he played really hard. But they're like you just said, it's got he'll have a role maybe as his career continues. And uh, it's, it's kind of impressive to see him step in right away and make such a big impact right here as a freshman. The one thing I, think I will say is Rick is, is um, his, his college career really ascended the more he got going is or his high school. Career, high school. Yeah. His high school career. Yeah. It's it, it kind of like he was off the radar, off the map and then got better and got better and got better. And to this kid's credit, maybe it's still, he's still in that ascension of continuing to improve his game too. Well, and the other thing is he's just so big and physical for a guard at six three or six four, whatever he is, yeah. and really stout. I mean, two hundred probably plus pounds right now, or right at I mean, it. Those are, those, and, are, those are good twelve guards. I mean, that's a big twelve guard size. Yeah, and he's athletic and tough, and he plays really, really hard. So I think just all of those things really have, have helped him at this level, being a physical presence for the Norris. And they don't have a lot of guys like that. I mean, even like Sam Vincent is like that, and and he's been very impactful. But you know, even like a guy like Marquez Work, who's so good, he's very slight of stature in his build. You know, he's only like a hundred and eighty-ish pounds, maybe one hundred and eighty-five now after several years in a, in a weight training program. So um, it's it's definitely nice to have that type of bigger athlete on the floor for the Norse. They will start conference play next Friday at Purdue Fort Wayne. And uh, looking at, at the projections for the Norse skinny, Ken Palm has them picked to win 12 games in conference play, go 12 and eight in conference play. Are you going over or under 12 wins for the Norse? Yeah, I'm going way over that number. I, I mean, 14 and six, I think would be the low bar for me. I, I think they can do even better than that, to be quite frank. Yeah, just looking at last year, they were fourteen and six exactly. Um, so I, that's kind of where I'd set it again is is fourteen and six. I think maybe this year they're a little bit ahead of where they were last year going into conference play. They have more things clicking. Have obviously the the three returners back and Trey Robinson, Marquez Work, and Sam Vinson. So you look at that, I could see them getting you know potentially to that fifteen win mark this yeah. season. Yeah, so I said fourteen would be the low bar for me to be honest with you. Yeah. All right, that finishes up our college basketball segment. Let's take a look at our betting segment, which the wretched Packers lost you your four-team teaser last week. Sure did. Everything else that Packers cost you. 
we each or I went one oh and one. You went oh one and one. We uh, pushed on the minus three for the Bengals there. Um, it did go over the total. You had the under, so that's where your loss came from. That brings us to Saturday at four thirty. The Bengals will play in Pittsburgh. They're a two-point favorite. The total is 37. Um, yeah, I, I I think that Jake Browning seeing them once is going to help help him, help them. I don't see the Steelers doing much offensively. Bengals may get a couple of shorter fields out of that. I'm gonna go, I'll go Bengals 24. Actually, I'll go, yeah, I'll go Bengals 24-14. So the Bengals and barely the over for me. <laughs> That's hilarious. We are both right at 38 points. Um, I have a slightly different score here. I'm going Bengals 21, Steelers 17. So I'm slightly over as well. Um, I feel like this is going to be a lower scoring game like everyone had predicted last week's game to be. But the number at 37 is just so low. It's almost impossible to play the under here. Yeah, correct. Either 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 play the over or pass it, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, all right, Skinny, what do you have for your best bet of the week? All right, we're going to do another four-team teaser. It's been good to me for the most part. Three of these games are 4 o'clock or later. One is the Sunday night game. This will be a six-point teaser. I'm going to take Denver down to laying a half a point, so basically a pick I'm going to take Miami up to getting four-and-a-half at home against Dallas. Dallas has proven that it can't do much on the road, hasn't done much on the road. I'm going to take Tampa at home against Jacksonville, uh, getting six points there. And the other one, I'm going to take Minnesota at home against Detroit up to nine uh, we'll get them six points. So Minnesota plus nine, Tampa plus six, um, Denver at a minus 0.5, and Miami up to getting four and a half. Four and a half for Miami. All right, there you go. That's the uh, four-team teaser. I'm going with Bengals, anytime touchdown, four, Chase Brown. Wow. All right. I like it. All right. Let's get into our Christmas edition of Ask Skinny Anything. Oh, boy. And we will start off with, well, this is a non-Christmas question. In fact, it isn't even a question. And I also think this person is misremembering what happened on a previous show. But they said, not a question, more of an Ask Skinny Anything request. We need to hear his Spiro Didi's impersonation again. Yeah, I, I forgot how I did. Is, was that, that was the one that you, you didn't like, right? That was you. You didn't do. Did you do a Spiroditis impersonation? I thought you did a Beth Mowens impersonation. Yeah, I did a Beth Mowens. Yards. Beth Mowens does yards. You're the one that didn't like Spiroditis, right? Because didn't you? Yeah, didn't I don't think we did a Spiroditis yeah. impersonation. No. I think I just said I hated him. Yeah, you know, I just did the Beth Mowens. He's going to get 14 yards. I'm going to go out and cut the <laughs> yard. I mean, nobody talks like that. And again, she actually technically is pretty good. And, and from everybody I've talked to, she's a delightful person. I don't know her at all, but. Nobody says yards. It's like feels like she's in pain saying yards. Except Beth Mallon. Get the yardstick out of the closet. I, I'm 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 gonna make you a little mixtape of Beth Mallon's greatest moments for Christmas. I, I will uh, look forward to that. Is Skinny a tip the garbage man at Christmas time guy? I never even thought about that. I guess maybe I should. Where, where I'm a I'm a I'm a tip tip my well I go to a just a generic haircut place. I'm a tip that person. Um, no, I, yeah, I haven't, I haven't got around for to, Christmas or just in general. No, for Christmas. I oh, tip, yeah. I tip after I get the cut, but it's an extra one for Christmas. Oh, okay. I was going to say, I was like, I tip after every haircut. Yeah, no, no, I, I do too. I'm just talking about, yeah, something a little extra for Christmas. Yeah. Well, like, yeah, the garbage man thing, I'm not, I'm not into, I'll be honest. I'm not tipping my garbage man ever. I don't really care. I'm sorry. Just is what it is. Like, yeah, I respect, I respect what they do. Trust me. I really do. Yeah, I, sure. I actually, 
when I put my garbage out, I actually turn the handles to where they don't have to turn the whole thing around. I got it ready for them. They just have to wheel it right to the thing. I try to be respectful of that because it's, it is, I mean, on a 22 degree morning, it's a thankless job for goodness sakes. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. At the same time, I'm not waking up early in the morning to go out in the cold to hand them an envelope full of money either. So that's what it is yeah. there. Uh, what is your favorite song off of Gucci Mane's album, East Atlanta Santa? Don't know Gucci Mane's album, East Atlanta Santa. I'm sure it's a, I'm sure it's a, a, a dynamic album. Did it go gold? Um, I, you know, I, I forgot to look that part of it up. I was, uh, I was really, really focused on this question. Uh, Skinny, a few of, few of the hits on this track list include Don't Count on Me with producer Fatboy, uh, Dope Money featuring Shoddy Low, Extra, Put Yourself in the Shoes, Go, Maybe It's the Juice, That Ever Lived, Dead People, Medication, Oddball, one minute and riding dirty. I feel like you'd be a riding dirty guy. Yeah, I'm riding dirty guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. All right. That's East Atlanta Santa by Gucci Mane. Make sure you check that out. Uh, thank you for that question. How many times is too many times to play Mariah on a touch, a touch tunes at a bar? Depends on Christmas time, right? Everybody loves Mariah's Christmas tunes. Um, I'm not a Mariah fan. I will say we were at the Holy Grail um, watching the second half of UC Dayton um, and Mariah's Christmas music came on and, and one Kelsey Conway for the Enquirer was kind of mimicking and, 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 and pantomiming her act. I'm like, what are you doing? What? She goes, it's the greatest Christmas song ever. So uh, I'm going to guess for her, it would, would be not enough for me. I hear it once or twice. That's enough for me. I like Mariah at Christmas though. Mariah at Christmas is good. I am. You said you're not a Mariah Carey fan though. Did you know her music or her in yeah. general? No, her music, but I'm oh, Mariah okay. at Christmas time. I'm good with. Cause I'm, I'm I'm a Mariah fan. I'm I'm a Mariah fan. Well, I was shout probably you growing Cannon. up, right? Yeah, shout out to Nick Cannon for that. That's uh yeah. that's a nice pull. Um, all Lord right, Eric we've G. got. <laughs> that's right. Assuming Skinny has seen the stop motion Christmas movies, rank Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer, The Year Without a Santa Claus, and Frosty the Snowman. Frosty the Snowman is my favorite. Um, Rudolph would be two, and what was the other one? Uh, the year without a Santa Claus. Never heard of it. I vaguely remember that one. The other two are definitively, you know, I, re I remember from back in the day. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm going frosty. Um, and then I'll go, I'll go, I'll go Rudolph. Here's one that, I mean, we're, there's no way we're actually going to rank five ways, but maybe you can give me your favorite way. Uh, this guy says ranking of your top five ways, Kevin inflicts paint on Harry and Marv in home alone. For instance, the blowtorch to the head, the yep. nail on the foot on the steps, you know. Yeah. The 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 one where the the iron swings and hits him on the head, I guess that's the anvil you're talking about. That one that one literally made me go, ooh, cringe. Uh the one where he's landing on all the tacks and nails going down the steps was cringy too. The blowtorch was funny because it it just the way they to their credit, they did it without it being too macabre. And it's obviously a comedy movie. That 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 one was funny to me. Um the ice on the steps was a good one where they had to try to scramble up the steps and they kept banging. That was a good one. I'm trying to think of a fifth way. I'm sure there was one. Um, I always you know, liked, this wasn't a Harry and Marv thing, but I always liked the pizza thing where he turns up the, the volume on the movie. Yes. As I keep the change of filthy animals. Filthy animals. Yes. That, that, that's a good one. Well, the machine, the one where they're going up the steps is where he, he puts the machine gun on the movie, right? And they, they're trying to, they're, they're afraid they think he's shooting a machine gun at him. And that's when they're trying to climb up the steps and they keep tripping and slipping and falling. 
Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, it's been a while since I've seen that. I might have to bust out. Well, I've got a kid now, so in the next few years, we'll definitely be watching some Home Alone. Yeah. All right. Finally, we'll wrap it up with this, Skinny. Rank these winter drinks. Eggnog, peppermint schnapps, hot chocolate, Irish coffee, bourbon, hot toddy, and mulled wine. All of them suck. Yeah, the wine one sounds terrible. But I, I can't drink eggnog. I can't even smell. I don't even want to be at a party where there's eggnog. I can't do it. It just grosses me out. I don't know why. Just, that, that's that's clearly last on the list. Peppermint schnapps is probably you, next. I love the idea of you and your wife showing up to a holiday party and you being like, babe, let's get out of here. There's eggnog. There's eggnog. Can't do it. Can't do can't it. Do it. Um, well, well, I don't know what that wine is. What's the wine? Mulled wine. I think that's the hot wine stuff that people heat up. And oh, like, yeah. I don't it's, it's, yeah, I want to know that. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, you can drink a nice red wine in the wintertime, and it'll warm you up enough. No, no, thank you for me. Um, peppermint schnapps is, would be the, the next lowest on the list. Number one is clearly Irish coffee. I love a good Irish coffee. I, 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 I try to make them at home sometimes. I love me a good Irish coffee. Bourbon would be two, and then hot chocolate would probably be three. I, I, can, I can, as much as I like to have a cocktail or two at night, I can sip a, sip a mug of, of hot chocolate on a cold night. Yeah, I mean, bourbon is really the only one here that I think I would even consider because I don't like hot liquids. I don't like hot chocolate. I don't like coffee. So you're not a coffee guy. Yeah, you're not. A co- oh, I, I love a, I love a good Irish coffee. Yeah, I mean, it sounds nice in theory. Like my wife loves coffee, I, and I always buy her one and then take a couple sips of it because I hear it's an acquired taste. And your taste buds change. And I'm like, one day I'll like coffee. I don't like it yet. I still hate it. I will say the best Irish coffee I've ever had is at two joints in San Francisco. One was on the street, and I can't remember the name of it. And one a, a few years ago when I was there to cover the Bengals Raiders game, um, we stayed in, in San Francisco. We stayed actually kind of halfway in between both um, and, and went to dinner in San Francisco and then walked up the street to a place that literally that was their specialty was Irish coffee. I had two and probably could have had ten, but it was at the end of the night, and I was kind of reaching my limit. It was so good. A good Irish coffee, man. If they make it right, ooh, good stuff. All right. That's all I got. All right, good stuff. Everybody have a happy holiday. Merry Christmas. We will be back, uh, come up next week, and we'll talk about the new year coming up. we got a lot of sports to talk about coming up next week. So, again, enjoy the holiday with your families and friends. Uh, have a Merry Christmas. For Rick Roaring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Pope edition, presented by Blake Kiyotoni Nation.